Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and we finally reached the closing week of the summer transfer window. Premier League clubs have spent more than their German, Italian, Spanish and French counterparts combined and they are not done yet. Don't miss any of the twists and turns with myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many more on the Athletic Football Podcast this week as we take you inside the deals that really matter. We're free to listen wherever you get your podcasts and we're ad-free on the Athletic app. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello to you. The Phil Hayes Show is brought to you by The Athletic in association with The Square Ball. Dan Moylan with you here from The Square Ball and Phil Hay from The Athletic. We're off the back of the Brighton result, which we're going to talk about in just a minute or two. Before we get round to that, if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you can read Phil's stuff, all the articles on Leeds, everything else on the website at theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Pound a month for six months, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. And you've written today, actually, Monday, Bank Holiday Monday in the UK, Phil, Something I think that we're probably going to get into over the course of this show. Stick or twist for Leeds United. It's an interesting question, isn't it, as we go into the final days of the transfer window? It is, and it seems to be what everybody's talking about. Um, it's, it's that crucial point of the window now where you can no longer delay because you're buying time or can no longer delay because you want to keep your powder dry and see what happens. If if you're going to sign anybody else and if you're going to do business, it's it's got to happen um, and it's got to happen pretty quickly. And I have to say, over the weekend, still not getting the vibes that anything is likely to be coming at Leeds. I do have that little niggle in the back of my head that they might just be once bitten, twice shy from last season and that when it comes to you know the pressure there to, to sign a striker. And I think a little bit of that is coming from Marsh as well. I do think in his comments, more and more when he speaks, he you you get the, the kind of dual message of, I really, really appreciate the support I've been given and I appreciate what's been done in the market. But yeah, if, if a striker was there who would suit us and who we could do, then then I would take it. It is kind of crunch time in that respect. And, and as I say, just that, that little thought in your head about whether what went on last season and the ways in which they were caught short might just um, might just make people think as the deadline approaches. Just a reminder then that we go um, twice a week now, uh, big Philly style on the Phil Hayes show. Uh, Monday is the debrief from the weekend's game. Friday is where we preview the match and react to Jesse Marsh's press conference. Monday edition, bank holiday Monday edition, Phil. Brighton it was at the weekend. A nice bank holiday weekend by the seaside. No. Yeah, someone said to me on Twitter this morning, Leeds are just not a, a, a seaside club. They're not a sand club. Um, they're, they're kind of um, middle country in the, the central belt, and, and it seems to seems to be true. Um, it's a weird place, Brighton. I, you have to say that Leeds have never played, a, I don't think, a Brighton team as accomplished as this one. He, he, whatever you think of Graham Potter, and, and I do think he's a, he's a very good coach, He's built quite a machine down there. They they know exactly what they are. They know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And it is starting to work for them in, in quite an impressive way. And there was, I think, a general mood that Brighton away might actually be, in hindsight, a bit more difficult than Chelsea at home. We discussed on the, the Friday podcast the possibility that Brighton would control the ball in midfield better than Chelsea did, which in the end they, they certainly did, I think, over, over 90 minutes that Welbeck would probably be able on, on that basis to cause more problems for the defence up front than Sterling did um, in the game against Chelsea. Again, I, I do think that happened without Welbeck scoring. He was difficult to control. His, his runs were, were a handful and they were dangerous out wide, which you know is where Leeds are weak, but actually where, where Brighton are, are very productive as well. There was a point in the second half where you felt the game tipping and actually the point where Brighton scored was the point where it really did feel as if Leeds had begun to find a bit of rhythm 
and I began to find a, a few chinks in their armour. But I didn't come away with any doubt that Brighton deserved that. They did enough to win. I felt that they always had enough in them to win. And it, it felt to me a little like they would find the extra they needed if extra you know, was required, the, the kind of gears that they needed to go through. Leeds just did not play as well as they did against Chelsea. And in some ways, it was the game in reverse. Leeds had imposed their strategy really well on Chelsea. And, and on Saturday, it was Brighton doing the same. And yet, and yet, Leeds still did manage to remain competitive in that game. That's one thing that um, I, I took away from it. Trying, you know, trying to pull on a positive from this because I think Brighton were the better side, but Leeds had their chances as well. They did. The, the big one being the chance for um, Sinistera right before Brighton scored, and that was a, a real sitter from a yard or so out. And the more you looked at it, the more you realised that he he should have scored. And and again, that that is a, a very very different game if that goes in, and that is potentially an away win. And I think it, it was important to remind yourself that we all expected it to be difficult at Brighton. I don't think Brighton anymore is the kind of game that you look at and make assumptions about. As I say, they, they are incredibly well drilled and they have some they have some definite talent in their team as well. You're right that they were in the game and, and they were competitive. And that was one of my feelings coming away from the Amex was that this season probably is going to be a collection of matches that Leeds are in. And, you know, some will be really controlled and they'll take points from some will be more loose, um, like Saturday, and they won't. I think they look at like the sort of side who, who shouldn't regularly be getting beaten by three, four, five goals. I, I don't really expect that to happen very often. And I think, again, it still amounts to a pretty decent start, seven points from four games. I, I think they'll be pretty content with that. I, I get the sense when I speak to people at the club when they go through the numbers and they look at the stats so far. They feel like the stats and the numbers are in their favour. You know, they think they point to a good summer. They think they point to um, a decent bit of progress in the games that have been played already. But it was, you know, it, it was a little bit sobering, I think, after Chelsea. And it, it did rather highlight something that Marsh said at his press conference beforehand, which was, we should shut the door on the Chelsea game because it's not going to influence Brighton. And actually, it is asking too much at the moment to expect that Chelsea that performance, that result is going to be on repeat all the way through the season. Because bottom line, there are other good teams in the league and Brighton are certainly one of them. I ask this question knowing full well it could be interpreted in a number of ways, but is Brighton a club that Leeds should aspire to be like at the minute? The Brighton model. Well, I mean, they can sign a left back for a start, Phil. They've shown that. <laughs> they, they've done more than that as well. I mean, they, they have they have moved in the Leicester direction and the Leicester model is always what's spoken about at Leeds, although something tells me that that's going to be spoken about less and less and less unless Leicester can get a grip of themselves at the bottom of the league. But Brighton have done the training ground, they've done the stadium. They do seem to recruit in an incredibly clever way. You talk a lot about Moneyball and the way that that applies to Leeds. Brighton's recruitment doesn't seem to depend on huge outlays of cash. And actually, you know, that they're able to draw in a lot of money from some of the players that they sell. You know, Cucurella being a, a, a prime example recently, huge amount of cash for him and um, for a, a very good left back. But I think they've, they've absolutely peaked his value at the money that was paid by Chelsea. I think they're a club for a lot of other clubs to mimic and to look at and to, you know, to appreciate what's happened there and, and the development. Every time you go to the Amex, on the big screen, you see they, they have a sort of montage of, of their history and you see you know the images of the, of what happened at the Goldstone ground, the point where they were basically left without a stadium and, and left, I, I suppose, to a degree without an identity. But I always remember when I went to the Withdean to cover Leeds down there, season tickets at the Withdean always sold out without fail and they knew when they moved stadiums that they would be able to sell a huge number more, which they have. You know, the Amex is, is basically full. Um, they seem to be on to a pretty good thing there. But I think they've hit the sweet spot between 
an extremely good and well-balanced squad and a, a very, very capable manager who does look, I don't really want to say that it looks like he'll go on to bigger things because I think Brighton have given him a really good platform down there, but I think he's going to be attractive to a lot of other clubs. Get into some of the nuts and bolts of the game then. Uh, Marsh in his post-match comments spoke about Leeds United freestyling or players freestyling outside the instructions. Can you just deconstruct that a little bit and, and what do you think he meant? He seemed to be implying that rather than applying the match plan strictly and sticking to it, players were playing a little bit off the cuff. Players were kind of, I, I guess, as he might say, thinking outside the box rather than strictly doing what, what had been discussed beforehand. I felt, though, more than anything, that the problem, particularly before half time, was Brighton's control of the game, particularly when Leeds were on the ball. I thought it was quite notable that whenever Brighton came into possession, there seemed to be space to play and they seemed to have time to, to pick passes. Whenever Leeds were on the ball, they had players all over them. Um, quick pressure applied to them. Marsh was talking afterwards about how it was it was quite man to man, and certainly when you got into the final third, there's very very little space to breathe. And it wasn't really until the last five minutes of the half that you felt like Leeds were, were getting something of the ball, were, were getting a foot on it, were starting to look a little bit dangerous, and and they could have been a number of goals down by that point. I just think the strength of Brighton's strategy um, exceeded that of Leeds and, and they seemed clearer about it on the day. They seemed more able to um, to implement it and, and to stick to it. So if there was a little bit of freestyling, perhaps that was an issue. But I think the bottom line is that Brighton played better. There's a juicy parallel with Everton, isn't there, in that we're going to face them on, on Tuesday, which we'll come on to in the, in the second half of this show. Frank Lampard has, has said many times that he told the players at Everton to do X and then they didn't do it and that's why they lost. Can you see a mirror of that in what Jesse Marsh said or do you think that the setup and the dynamic between manager and dressing room is different at Leeds? Well, all I would say about Marsh is that he doesn't really make a habit of this and it wasn't as if it was the overriding theme of what he was saying afterwards. He was quite complimentary to to Brighton and, and he, he said that Leeds were lucky, very lucky in his words, to get out of the first half goalless. And I did ask him, you know, what specifically did you mean by them freestyle and what were you seeing? What, what were they not doing? And he didn't really answer that in specifics. You know, he wasn't able to say what it was specifically that that was standing out as being players playing off the cuff. But I think it was quite apparent in the first half that, you know, the ball wasn't sticking. I had to look at Aronson, who had, you know, seven touches in open play before half time compared to 19 against Chelsea. And I think numbers are numbers, but I think you can understand in that one of the problems that he, he was seeing so little of the ball that he was unable to influence the game and neither Rocker nor Adams were able to control the midfield or to dominate Brighton's midfield in the way they had Chelsea's. I, I thought Adams had a real struggle on Saturday um, in contrast to what I thought was a man-of-the-match performance the previous weekend. And I think that that more and more is going to be a key area for Marsh. You know, that midfield pair linking up properly, being able to dictate play as opposed to having play dictated in front of them. That, I think, is what's going to make um, make Leeds tick over the course of the season. And I think this does feed into the discussion about transfers. We, uh, we certainly both agree that we think a, another forward would be an advantage. For what it's worth, I actually think that an out-and-out left-back would change the way Leeds are playing more than a, an extra forward. I think there is scope for them to be better and more rangy on the left-hand side with somebody who is a you know a recognised fullback in that position. But nothing that they do in the market is really going to change the tactics or the style of play or, or the approach. And you know, one of the messages from Brighton, I think, was that if and the opposition team can cut a player out of the game in the way that they did Aronson before half-time, it is going to, you know, Leeds are going to struggle to play in the way that, that they want to play. 
um, that was a, a definite issue. And he went from being so influential against Chelsea to, to barely touching the ball against Brighton before half time. And you could see that in his body language. You know, you'd see him you could see him gesticulating to other players saying, you know, I need the ball, I need the right pass, I need you to be doing the right things when you're distributing from the back. He came into the game in the second half and again, I thought the changes made a difference. I thought Clayton and Sinistera coming on, improved leads, made them more fluent, more dangerous. I think that's food for thought for Marsh before he picks his team for Everton tomorrow, personally. But, you know, all in all, it was it was the case that Leeds were squeezed in the areas where they wanted to be effective and, and Brighton had control of them. Should Sinistera have scored that chance, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. You could probably question whether he, he threw the right foot at it in the end. But you also had that thing where, you know, he was he was about to collide with a post. That always gets in, in a player's head. It's hard to describe it as anything other than a sitter. But I do think I do think he played well. I did like him when he came on. And I almost feel with him that he gives you the he gives you the winger that doesn't really exist in this Marsh system. You know, the, the tight line of, of three tens in behind the um, the centre forward, they're all pretty happy to play centrally. They're all happy to, to be in that, that narrow formation. But Sinistera, from time to time, will, will just fade into areas where he does give you somebody who will attack fullbacks one-on-one. And it is it does give you something different. He seems to have that skill um, in his game. I think the temptation will be there to start him ahead of Dan James against Everton. Whether Marsh does that is difficult to say and there is no press conference today so we we won't find that out from him until he picks the team tomorrow. Um, but Sinistera put himself in the running, I felt. And, you know, to a degree, I think Click did as well. You can see why Sinistera was signed, can't you? And just for the record, I think with that chance at the far post, it's really, really hard when you're running at full pelt to adjust your stride, isn't it, and choose which leg to go with. You're just going to have to go with whatever you go with. I think the other thing is that it wasn't particularly telegraphed, even though even though Aronson was in a position where he looked as if he was going to shoot or might knock it to the back post. It was a Brighton player who kind of bundled it in that direction and it probably caught Sinistera slightly by surprise. And yeah, it's it's always easy to say, oh, you, you should have finished that. I think he'll feel like he, he should have finished it and it would have changed the game. But that, I don't think, tells the story of the, the 90 minutes and... As I say, it would have been difficult for Brighton at, at one 0 down, but they had they had a certain swagger about them and a certain assurance, and you just felt in them that they were they were going to find something. It was a little bit like one of those boxing fights where it, it goes on and on and on, and it gets stopped in the eleventh round, and you kind of always knew from the start that it was going to get stopped in the eleventh because that's how the, the kind of balance of the contest felt. Just to return to the first part of the comment uh, I made there, Phil, um, about knowing why he was signed. Uh, he seems to be different in that he's, he is more of an inside forward, isn't he? In that he picks it up and he will not just go for the byline, but head towards goal as well, rather than um, you know going out wide and looking for a cross. He'll drive towards uh, the penalty area, which is very much what Marsh's system is all about. Yeah, and you'll get variety from him. So you will get service um, from the wide areas and you will get penetration down the flanks as well and, and also the, this ability I think to play on either side which is useful but I think there is going to be a, a threat of goals from him definitely and I feel like he's the sort of player who Leeds need to start bringing on pretty quickly you know they, they need to they need to be pushing him as fast as they can towards 100% fitness and, and 100% form I think he could be a really big player for them if he finds his rhythm Just looking at the results overall from the weekend Brentford won all against Everton odd goal in the Southampton Man United game Villa losing 1-0 to West Ham. Again, Wolves and uh, Newcastle um, drawing. Chelsea 2-1 against Leicester. It's a tight division, is this, isn't it? Do you just sort of bracket the, the Brighton-Leeds game in that, in that it's two pretty decent sides, one probably better than the other at the minute, that just um, happened to grind out a good result for them? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's a game of no dramas, really, isn't it? It's not the sort of game you come away from panicking. Um, and I think the, the reaction to it or the feeling around it might be slightly different a game, will we not, in the last week of the transfer window, if there wasn't the discussion point behind this game of what the Leeds need and, and what should they be doing in this last week, then it, it's probably much easier to be philosophical about this and say, you know, some teams are very handy, some away fixtures are, are extremely difficult. This was one of those and and it went Brighton's way as, as I think it, it deserved to do. You're right about the division being tight though. I mean, I know Bournemouth got got a, a proper hiding from Liverpool at the weekend. But Liverpool have had quite a difficult start. And even on Saturday, sitting watching City 2-0 down and then sitting in the press room at the Amex afterwards, watching Fulham open the scoring against Arsenal and Arsenal having to dig that out with a with a really late goal. Like you mentioned, Villa, they're really not making much progress. Everton too, I think, start to get to the point where they really need a win to get themselves going um, and to make sure that they don't get sucked in. And, you know, others who you would have thought might have been steady enough, West Ham, you know, even even Leicester, really not not getting going quickly. I think you're right. I think it is going to be a very even table. And I don't feel that four games in, it's any easier than it was before a ball was kicked to say exactly who's likely to finish where. And I would probably apply that to Leeds as well. But I do, I do see in Leeds a kind of competitive streak. And there's a big difference in this final week of the window to what there was 12 months ago, you remember Leeds blinking and signing Dan James. And, you know, it was partly because of how into James Bielsa was, the fact that it was just a player he'd, he'd been after for so long and was always going to want if James became available. But I think there was also concern about the way they played in the, the first three games, concern about the results, particularly after the, the draw at Burnley. It feels a bit different this time. I, I think there's far more confidence in what's happening. I think it's definitely the case that Leeds have started a bit more this season like they used to start seasons under Bielsa, you know, positively and, and with, with good results. But it's still a big call of the next few days about what they do and whether they whether they keep the powder dry in their hands in the pockets or, or whether they do just, you know, give that squad a little more depth. This is the one thing, though. This is why I mentioned the... Um the tightness of the division, is that I worry that Leeds will see the bright start to the season and think, ah, oh, we'll probably be all right this season. No need to push the boat out. Because you very much get the sense, you know, adding up all the comments from from various people that there ain't a lot of money sloshing around at Leeds and if they can no. keep their powder dry, that they will. Whereas you see the tightness of the division and you put in that extra forward, you get that left back and it could be worth three, four, five places in the division come the, the shakedown at the end of the season. If you... um if you just go out there and do what Premier League clubs are, most of them seem to do. That's the risk and that's the toss-up. I mean, there's nothing at all to, to suggest that they are going to do a left-back. I mean, that even when Marsh has spoken about that, he, he really has kind of ruled that out himself. But it's different with a striker. When he speaks about it, he sounds like a, a coach who isn't desperate for it, but would like it, you know, I think would feel a bit more content with that in his squad. It, it seems to me that, the, and I wrote this today, that the summer's kind of been split into two you had the first half where there was that kind of urgency almost to spend money on the money that was coming in from Phillips and Rafinha you know, to, to get it spent, to get the players they were after, to do Rock and Adams and Anson, Sinistera, um, Christensen as well. But since the, the bid and the interest in the Ketla went south, almost like a pulling up of the drawbridge and, and a change of the narrative to to suggest that actually they're not that desperate to do anything else. They're They're not urgently seeking to do anything else. And people definitely did see a contradiction between 33, 34 million pounds bid for De Ketla, and which was agreed with Club Bruges and Amas saying last week that they didn't have the, you know, the resources to go out and, and do a, a huge transfer. And just to, you know, I guess to echo what, what we said on the Friday podcast, I think that 
kind of tells you that yes, for the Ketla, they were ready to to find that money. But that money isn't just sloshing about in the accounts waiting to be spent. And and actually, the, the appetite to spend £33 million is unlikely to be there for anybody else. I don't think it needs to be £33 million for them to find a forward who would, who would do good things for them. And I actually don't think at this stage many people would expect a signing to come in. I, I guess if the De Ketlar ilk, who you know, could be a, a real game changer, both in in terms of you know the games themselves, but also in terms of his stock and his reputation and his talent, you know people seem to think that that he's heading for for big things and and heading for a, a really really high level. I don't think there's much expectation that Leeds would do something like that at this stage. So it is probably more about numbers and it is probably more about padding. But I think good and competent padding in the squad, particularly up front, could do them good. And just to close out the final thoughts on the Brighton game, uh, could you pick a man of the match from that, Phil? Well, Melier had another good game, and I seem to be saying this every week, but he, he it seems to me that he's gone up a level this season. The, the, there'd always been really good things about Melier, and there's always been you know that quite obvious talent within him. But it's the basics for me. It's the basics and, and the expectation now that he'll do the right things at the right times, that the you know he, he will p- pull off really, really top saves. But he will also do the things, the basic things that goalkeepers have to do over the course of any 90 minutes. I think he's a more established first choice at Leeds now than he's ever been. And as I was saying previously, I think he has now replaced Rafinha and Phillips as the, you know, the player that big bids are going to come from somewhere down the line. Stop trying to sell him, Phil. My apologies. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As we mentioned there, Phil, the window does close later this week. So um, crystal ball time. Will Leeds United move? And a supplement to that question is, will they sell Dan James or loan him out? And will they bring in... Bring in um, Huang He Chan from Wolves. Well, if James was to go and the the interest from Tottenham, which has been mentioned, it's it's slightly speculative, but it is there. If if James was to go, then absolutely I would expect somebody else to come in. And and Huang is a player who who Marsh would take. He, he's worked with him twice before Leipzig and Salzburg and would work with him again. And the issue for Leeds there is is gonna be the transfer fee. And I think Huang probably does fall into that category of player where you have to think quite seriously about what you actually want to to pay for him and and I guess not to not to go over the odds in the market and, and in what you're you're willing to bid. At, from the noises over the weekend, my gut feeling is that we might well go past the window uh, and the, the deadline without anything else happening. But you never can tell at this stage. And and as I say, we've got because we've got Everton tomorrow in, in what is I guess quite a big week for Leeds in a competitive sense. Everton at home, Brentford away. I think games they would want to take points from, and, and games that they should be that should be helping them to to move a little bit further forward in the league. It would be quite a bad look, I think, to come out of this week with two defeats. Say um, from those those fixtures. Perhaps there's something in the game tomorrow night that will make them think that will will make them them jump. But for all that, Marsh is you know kind of talking about the possibility of strikers coming in. You, you you're not really getting that vibe from the club at the moment. So, you know, it's it's one to one to wait and see, but safe to say that as it stands, it's not really a hive of activity at Leeds. Now we've got another game under our belts. You can see the case for a left back, can't you? In that, you know, Strauch's been excellent for 
spells of, of the games we've seen so far, but they're not so good at Brighton. So if the truth is somewhere in the middle, if it averages out, you can see a real case for just putting in that specialist left back who can who can do the job. I still think the idea is that the plan is that he'll be full when he's fit and he's uh, he was due to be back in full training this week and so won't be won't be far away. My feeling with Strike is you know as as competent as he can be out there and, and I guess as steady as he can be is is that it reminds me a little of the games where you know the past three or four seasons you had Strike as defensive midfielder in place of Phillips or Cock as defensive midfielder in, in place of Phillips, who, whoever it was. It, it could work for a certain period of time, but you did worry that you know if, if it went on too long, it would start to get exposed because that's not his natural position. I don't think he had a particularly great game against Brighton on Saturday. It wasn't helped by the early yellow card. And I think we should say as well that as much as it wasn't to blame for the result, I don't think Leeds were particularly helped by the referee either. He, he seemed to... He seemed to struggle to read that well, I thought, that game. Um, I didn't think he had a, a good performance, especially. And, and obviously that led to Marsh getting booked in the second half and, and being being pretty irate with him throughout. But yeah, so the, that, as I say, the, this is the thing, that the, most of the talk is around a, a forward. And, and actually that's the, the kind of gap that I see more than anything else. But a, a natural out-and-out left-back would probably, in the starting eleven would probably give Leeds the the kind of completion that Marsh needs, you know, to, to fill them out properly in every area. As I say, he's very committed to football, club are very committed to football. That's who they want to, to play there this season. And whereas Marsh has been talking, you know, quite openly about striker, about another forward, there's been very, very little of mention of a left back. And I don't get the sense that that's really been on the agenda recently. It's probably the Leeds fan in me talking, but I fully expect Junior Firpo to get another injury before the World Cup. It's possible. And this is, I mean, mention the World Cup is... Um, is interesting because you're almost dealing here with a semi-season, aren't you? Um, everybody needs to get to the beginning of November in decent shape. That's the, the aim for every Premier League club. And then you have the best part of two months to draw breath, to think about what you're going to do next. And in the knowledge that when the games restart again, you're going to be hitting the January window there and then. So... I guess you could say that this season has to be handled in a slightly different way for everybody to how you would do normally because of this mammoth gap that's coming up in the winter months. So if, you, if you're if you at Leeds, your first consideration, I think, has to be, do we have the resources we need and, and do we have the quality we need to get us through to the start of November as opposed to the end of the season? But, you know, it is the case that January windows have been difficult for Leeds. Historically, they have been tricky. Um, last season's was not good didn't serve up anything at a time when they, they really did need players. So you would like to see the bulk of the squad in place at this stage. And you do tend to find more and more that the, the best clubs and the most organised clubs pretty much have everything in place when it comes round to the end of the, the summer window. You, you don't see so many clubs doing huge amounts of business in January. Do you think Leeds fans would be more accepting, maybe more tolerant of the club saying that January is a time they don't like to do business? if they had all the ducks in a row in the summer window that preceded it. Like this one, it feels like we've done really good early business. As you said, it's almost been divided into two into the good early business and they've just kind of, I don't know, been, been it's almost like paralysis by analysis, isn't it? They're uh, looking for this this unicorn of a, of a forward who doesn't seem to exist. They seem to be suggesting there's not a right lot of money sloshing around. It, it does feel like they make heavy weather of, uh, heavy weather of, of these things, Leeds United. And seem reluctant almost to do what Premier League clubs do, which is to get players to fill their squad. It comes down to results, doesn't it? The first Premier League season under Bielsa, they were so comfortable at the turn of the year that saying to people, 
we don't really want to do business in January. We don't really think this is the, the time to, to do a lot is fine and, and makes total sense because there's almost no reason to do it unless you've got a player out there that you desperately want and who's a, a long term long term target, long term addition and, and who it's you know, logic says you should do there and then. The windows, the January windows that are stressful are the ones where you're under pressure, like last year, and when it seems as if you very much do need extra resources and they don't arrive and or it's a, a battle to get them through the door. And I, I do get the sense that, you know, Leeds do not like January. It's not a time they, they want to deal. And they've almost got themselves into the, this mindset that if they can avoid it at that stage, they, they definitely will. I think it's easier for clubs with, you know, more depth, more money, more clout to take that attitude. Manchester City, for example, you hardly ever see them do anything in January, which impacts on the squad there and then. They did a deal last January bring a striker from South America, but it wasn't, it, you know, he wasn't going to arrive until the end of the season because they didn't feel like he, he needed them. They do their business in the summer and to a large degree, so the Leeds, you know, if you look back over the last couple of years, that, that is how it's how it's worked. And that, again, I think is, is the way they've gone at it this season. The, the judgment on this summer is all going to depend on how it goes, isn't it? They're either going to be fine and, you know, the, the confidence in the resources are, are, is going to be justified or they're going to be caught short and it's going to be the same argument as last season. What do you think this apparent reluctance to push the boat out in this window towards the end? What do you think it says about the the ownership of Leeds? Well, it's interesting because we've said a few times that the the way this summer has gone with Rafinha and Phillips coming in, um, with the money from Rafinha and Phillips coming in, it's prevented the need for any big um, investment from shareholders. So we are still now in the same position um, in terms of the split of equity in the boardroom that we've been for a while, you know, um, Radrazano with 56%, the 49ers with, with 44%. I don't think it's the case that the club can't operate with that structure in place. It has just never felt to me like that's a structure that can persist indefinitely um, or persist long term. And my question with the 49ers has always been, if you get up to 44%, surely being you know so close to the brink of wanting majority control or being so close to the brink of having majority control means that that is something that you, that you want to do. Again, what it says about the ownership at Leeds is going to depend on how this season goes. If it falls into place nicely, then you would say that the judgment of the ownership was sound and, and that they read the summer right, they did the right deals, they, they picked the right players for Marsh's system. If they are caught short and, and if they do run into trouble because Bamford isn't fit enough and Rodrigo runs out of form and they don't have anybody else, you know, they have Gilhart, but they don't have anybody else who, who can play up front, then you will say that the ownership have made the same mistake that they did last season. The only, I guess, mitigating factor is that at this stage, they're in better shape than they were at the end of the transfer window last year. I think in terms of numbers, definitely, the form is better, the, the results are better. So I can understand why there's more confidence. But, you know, if they do nothing between now and the deadline, then it will be there. You know, it will be there in the background as the games go on. Should this always be in the balance, though? Shouldn't we be able to go into it with a, a greater degree of confidence in, in how they're operating? Well, I don't think they're lacking confidence. I would say that. But then equally, go back a year, I don't think they were lacking confidence in Bielsa's fourth season either. They felt pretty assured, particularly because of the kind of physical data that was coming from his last pre-season. They, they felt as if the team were, were in good shape and, and were ticking over in the same way as they always had previously. So I don't get the sense that at Leeds, you know, within the walls of, of Ellen Road, they're anxious about this season. I mean, Radrazani said quite openly to us, I think we'll finish 10th to 14th. That's what we're aiming for. And that's what I think we'll we'll do. And, and you know, went further than that, essentially saying there is no way we'll be 
involved in another relegation battle, which, you know, seemed like quite a bold statement to me. And I, I'd like to think Leeds won't be involved in that again. But, it, you know, a bold statement on the back of how close and how, you know, how narrow the escape was last season. Um, but I think if, if you're a, a fair reflection of the fans out there generally, there does seem to be a bit of anxiety, definitely, about whether they've done enough. And I think part of that will stem from the fact that this time last season, you know, last summer, there were people who were saying we haven't we haven't changed the squad to the degree that we should have done. We haven't refreshed it. We haven't upgraded it where we ought to have done. Um, and it was a very very problematic season. I felt like they'd be all right last year. I was I was completely wrong about that. I feel like they will be okay this year, and um, and time will tell. But I am with you in thinking that one more up front, I think, would be a good call. Well, we'll see what Everton brings as well. Let's uh, turn our attention to that. That's the big one uh, that's happening on Tuesday night. Uh, another one to look forward to. And if things go well, it could be fun on the terraces, don't you think? Yes, not to mention on the touchline as well. Um, <laughs> I, was, I titled our last podcast, or I, when I tweeted about it, I was saying, you know, Marsh loves a rock. He was he was very agitated on the touchline right from the start at, um, at Brighton. I think the way the team were playing in the first half was clearly frustrating him. And you mentioned the, the freestyling comment. That seemed to be in his body language. You know, the, the frustration that they were not doing what they should have been doing. I saw him at one point turn around. I think it was after Webster's header um, early on that went just where he should have scored. And, you know, Mars was saying to his bench, it's obvious. That's so obvious what they were going to do. And, yeah, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't happening. It was clearly getting to him slightly. But then the booking in the second half where he slammed the ball into the ground, applauded the referee and was basically saying to the referee, yeah, come on, boot me, boot me, which the referee did. <laughs> um, this, there is going to be lots of that this season. And him and Lampard will be will be interesting. I mean, Lampard back at Ellen Road is, yeah, going to be fun and games, I think. Crowd yeah. are going to enjoy that. I can imagine Oasis might get played on the PA yeah. system maybe at some point. But you mentioned Sinistera, actually. And the big question around him, it's probably the biggest tactical question, isn't it? I guess going into this game is, do you put him in for, for Dan James? I can certainly see the case for it, not just based on the little glimpses we've seen from him so far and the need to kind of integrate him into the team, but almost the surprise factor. Like Everton won't have seen any video footage of him playing for Leeds and how he would be deployed in the Leeds side yet, would we? Whereas Dan James is more of a known quantity. Yeah, as I say, Cleek, I think, is putting his hand up in a big way as well. But it would be far more of a leap and, and I think it would be far more of a contentious decision from the, the point of view of the dressing room to, to shuffle around in, in that position. Anderson had a difficult day down at Brighton, but he was he was marked out of the game and he had so little possession. There was very little that, that he could do. And I suppose on the flip side, you would say Cleek was able to come on, play in that central area and, and be more effective. And I think Cleek, more than anybody else, has probably altered Marsh's thinking of him um, between the start of pre-season and now. I think he's becoming more and more prominent. But fundamentally with Sinistera, he just looks like a talented player. You know, he's very highly rated at Feyenoord. They thought a lot of him. Um, I've spoken to various Dutch journalists and, and a couple of coaches in Holland as well who do think he, he, he's really, really talented and, and has other levels that he can go to. And I think on that basis alone, now that he's fit, now that he seems ready um, to, to play more than he was in pre-season when, when injury was bothering him a little bit, I would be I would be pushing him. I'd be putting the pressure on him. I'd be saying to him, you know, we want you to thrive. We want you to get into this. I think you're right. I think that is the big call. Um, for the Everton game does he go with Sinistera does he 
does he make a decision like that, which looks positive and aggressive and, and suggests that from the outset, Leeds are going to try and play on the back, on the front foot? Because I cannot see Everton coming. I might be wrong here, but I can't see them coming and being wildly ambitious in the way that they play. I can't see them coming and trying to go immediately toe-to-toe with Leeds um, and to take Leeds and, and the crowd on. They've they've had a slow start. It's been a battle for them to, to gather the points that they have. And I think they're a team that, that Leeds can take advantage of. Do you think the crowd needs that? On Tuesday night, it needs that positive front foot approach. I mean, because like you say, I, from what I've seen, I, mean, I haven't seen all of Everton's games, obviously, but the, the general vibe seems to be that Lampard is setting them up to sit deep and then try and hit teams on the break. I think Leeds, as, as a team and squad and, and Marsh as a coach, would do themselves a favour by playing like that anyway. Um, it's the, you know, you, you, the season ebbs and flows. So one minute, Ellen Road is bouncing against Chelsea. The next minute, you're struggling to make any inroads into Brighton at all until you know mid- midway through the second half, and that's kind of chalk and cheese in in the space of a week. But I don't think the Brighton game needs to knock the impetus particularly, provided that Leeds attack Everton and attack Brentford in the way that they should. Brentford on Saturday is probably a bit more of a delicate balance when it comes to deciding what to do because they are they're they're also a team who are really you have a lot of understanding um, about Frank's tactics. They they played together a lot. He's he's been there for a while now. They you know they they again like Brighton they know exactly what they are. I think Everton are still kind of scrabbling around to to settle properly and to establish themselves. As a Lampard team, you know, assuming that a Lampard team is not just one that that is struggling at the bottom of the of the division, you know, if they're going to play better, and if they're going to perform better and and hold a better league position under him, then they are going to have to find some rhythm and they are going to have to find some identity, I suppose. And I think from Leeds' perspective, the best thing tomorrow night is to stop them having any, any identity by dictating the play and dominating the play. I think there's a win in this game, definitely, provided Leeds approach it in the right way. You have to look at these next two fixtures and say four points would be a great return, wouldn't it? It'd be a fantastic start to the season because you'd be over two points per game. It would. And, you know, this stat that keeps going around that no promoted side has gone down if they take eight points from the first five games. You know, essentially, it's kind of like, you sort of think it's not exact science this, but if you start well, you've got a good chance of of staying up is is the bottom line. And Leeds have, you know, to a point, have started well. And, And you're right. I mean, to come out of this week with 11 from six games is, pretty much on the money for, for what you'd be looking for. But also, it would make something of a week where you, you expect Leeds to to make up ground and, and to make inroads. You know, you expect them to be good enough to take something from Everton. You expect them to be good enough to take something from Brentford. Well, there'll be, I suppose, on the one hand, there'll be none of the pressure from the game that they won down there last season. On the other, you know, Brentford, if they were on the beach last May, are not going to be on the beach in the, the last week of August or the first week of, of September. So it probably will be a more difficult fixture again. And I, and I think they I think they will stay up, Brentford. I think they'll be good enough second time around. But yeah, it, it, is, a, it is an important week just to, keep, just to keep moving forward. I've just shown how shonky my maths is because I said it would be more than two points per game. It's not. It's just under two points per game, isn't it? 11 from six. Yes, um, but close <laughs> enough. Close enough. Close enough, yeah. Close enough, close enough. How are your you GCSE maths results? I, I think I got a B, but we are talking... Oh, not bad. We're talking 1994 here. A lot's left the brain since then. Don't worry, Phil. Yeah, I, I fancy us. I fancy us for a win on Tuesday. I think we need to be. We need to be cautious. And did you think maybe the Chelsea game lulled us into a false sense of security a little bit? No, I, I think I, I, my feeling coming away from speaking to people was that nobody was making wild projections on the back of that about what was coming this season. I don't think people took that game and said, right, okay, well, that means that we are qualifying for Europe or we're finishing top half. 
I do think people looked at it and said, that just proves that we are, we can be a very good team and we can play very well. And I think people are, you know, I think it is a softly, softly thing with Marsh. I think people are sort of watching and waiting and, and taking it as it comes and, and kind of gradually, gradually warming to it, gradually engaging with it and, and embracing it. And obviously we felt a massive surge of that against Chelsea. But I think like he said on Thursday before Brighton away and, and like a few supporters have said to me, see where you are in a month, see where you are in, in a couple of months and don't think too much about how spectacular it could be. Just think about going through the you know, going through the process of game after game and of trying to play well. They, they didn't play well down at Brighton, but again, to repeat what we said right at the start, Brighton are a really good side and Brighton away is going to be a, a difficult fixture this right the way through this season. I think the the bigger tests of how clear they're going to be of the relegation places will be playing at home to Everton, going away to Brentford. If if they're looking com- competent and comfortable in those games and they're taking points from those games, then they've they've it's all there for them. You know, they've got it there to have a safe season, to have a steady season that, that keeps them out of trouble. Losing to Everton is precisely the sort of result which is going to make people ask questions. And I think Marshall will see this as must win tomorrow. I think I don't mean that in the you know the conventional must win way of we we have to win this, but I think he will absolutely want to be seen. He will want it to be seen that Leeds are a better team than Everton. All these sorts of games, and I'm thinking specifically about the Everton away game um, as an example of this. These games are the ones where we need to stay in them, don't we? Across the course of this season, not not necessarily against the top top sides who you might find it hard to bridge that gap of, of quality. And I think we've just got to be realistic about where we are in our progression at the minute. But these other teams, the ones that all get sucked into these relatively tight games, we've got to stay in these games. We can't let them get away from us, can we? I think that's one thing Leeds will do this season. I do feel like they will be in these games, whether they win them or not. These shouldn't be fixtures that, that run away from them. But I think you mentioned how tight the table is and how tight the table looks like being right the way through the season. Every other team, I think, will be saying exactly the same to themselves. You know, I, I think Lampard will be saying to his players, this is a game that we've just got to hang in. We've got to be there. We've got to be in contention. So that if it does go away, if it does open up, then we can take advantage of it. There will be much more difficult fixtures than this further down the line. But there probably won't be too many games that, that matter more when it come in, comes to making sure that, that you're not involved in the sort of scuffle that Leeds were in last season. The table hasn't yet settled down, Phil, but I'm just looking through the other midweek fixtures here. Uh, Palace-Brentford, you've got Fulham hosting Brighton, um, Southampton-Chelsea, we're obviously uh, home to Everton on Tuesday, and spinning ahead to to Wednesday, Arsenal-Villa, Bournemouth-Wolves, Man City-Forest, West Ham-Spurs, and then Liverpool-Newcastle. This, this is a chance for, for Leeds to kick on a little bit this week, isn't it? It'd be, it'd be sad to, um, to drop points in this one. It probably is. And as Leeds found in their first Premier League season and... You know, to use Brentford as an example from last season, if you get going early, if you make progress early, you can kind of wake up seven, eight, nine games in and realise that there's already a pretty healthy gap between you and the bottom three. And I think that's the way Leeds have to think initially, is to to get points on the board and to make sure that they're in a position where they can avoid that, you know, that type of trouble and that type of season again. So, yeah, it's, I'm looking at the table seeing Leeds in fifth and and remembering that the table's so much in its infancy that it's not really telling any proper stories. Aside from the fact that, you know, they have it has managed to come together to a certain degree from this from the start. You know, it's not as if they're still scrambling around for a first win in the way that they were um this time twelve months ago. I think they're in I think they're in pretty good shape. But I do think it's you know it's gonna need another couple of good two, three good weeks in order for them to feel like they're they're properly up and running. And we're not making predictions on the Phil Hay show this year. However, 
What's your general feeling then going into the Everton game? A game Leeds can and probably should win. My feeling is that it may be quite a night for Lampard, I would imagine. Um, I think the crowd will absolutely be ready for him. Um, yeah, game they should have a chance of winning, game they should really be winning um, at home. The Eleanor crowd has been really good for a long time, carried them a lot last season, was unreal against Chelsea. And, you know, another day we came away thinking the moment where this turns from a 36,000 rough and ready stadium into, you know, a gloriously sparkling 60,000 seat stadium will be both fantastic and very, very sad. And, and you will, you'll definitely lose something at that point. But, um, there's nothing in, I don't think, in Everton's results so far. And also, you know, I've watched the games. There's nothing much in the performances that make me, me think that they're a side who, like Brighton or like Brentford or, or certain others, have much fluency or, or much coherence in what they're doing. I don't think they're a, a unit who people look at and, and know exactly what's coming from them. So I think if Leeds play well, they win this game. And I'm just looking at the potential front four in this. Rodrigo, Harrison... Aronson, Sinisteri. If that's your front four, it feels to me like there's goals in that side. There's goals and there's also threat. Um, and I think there's a style of play in each of those players that suits the, the really quick vertical passing that Marsh is, is looking for. And in the same way that I felt that Aronson would before long kind of gravitate into that central role and would be there, I, I did also feel that it wouldn't be too long before Sinisteri, provided he was fit, would start to come to the fore. That's going to be the really interesting call tomorrow night. Does Sinistera start? Does he come in for Dan James? I think it would be quite a good message if that happened um, and, I, and personally I hope that it does. Yeah, I look forward to seeing more of him. You can uh, tweet us at the Phil Hay Show as well. Let us know what you think about what we've said today on the show and should Leeds sign anybody before the deadline? I think the overwhelming majority answer to that one is probably going to be yes, but don't we as football fans always want more players? Um, Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod as well to sign up to read Phil's stuff. Uh, Phil, will reconvene uh, towards the back end of the week. It's going to be a Thursday presser, no doubt, then, um, ahead of Brentford on Saturday. Yes, and Thursday's deadline is uh, deadline day as well. Looking forward to it. We'll return towards the end of the week. We'll speak to you then. The Phil Hay Show.